can drive right up to the... Drive up to the arrivals. They'll the arrivals. stop you and you can show the pass. Yeah. Say nothing. They'll let you through. I'm with Anne Kennedy and we're on the way to the airport to collect her sister Margaret, who's coming home for Christmas. And it's, there's a disabled spot. Yeah. Or, or is, there, is there more than one? Uh, no, but uh, Mark, stop worrying. Yeah. Stop worrying. You can park <laughs> anywhere as long as you're not causing a hazard. Yeah. And we don't have a bomb, we've just got a disabled person. Although they're identical twins, they have lived apart for 38 years as Anne lives in Dublin and Margaret in London. It doesn't look familiar. Where the hell are you going? <laughs> this time the trip home is a little different for Margaret, as she is thinking of coming home for good. They're going up to the, the um, thing. Follow the buses. Doesn't matter if you get a ticket. RT will pay. Restricted asset, go there. And go follow the buses, follow the buses. He'll oh, stop you. Go on and follow the buses. Go on. Hold on a second, hold on a second. Then you've gone the wrong way, Mark. Uh, yeah, stop, Mark. relax. All right, I'll relax. The sign there said wheelchair this way. Anne is not normally like this, but, then you have to push but it's it Christmas off. and tension is high. Oh, She's worried that Margaret might be sitting at the airport with no one to meet her. There, look, what's this disabled sign for here? Where? Here. All right, OK, all right, all right. That's all what right. I was following. All right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. Do I have to apologise now? No, we'll let you off. Is it London LCY? Ten past ten, that's it, isn't it? There she is, London City, landed. Yeah, it's landed. Okay. It's landed. So she'll be on her way. Then we get the coffee first. We can't go in there, we have to wait over here. Of course you can, you can do anything in life. <laughs> okay. Eagle has landed. Hang out here. Eagle has landed, still on plane, where are you? I'll bring her. We're waiting. Well, when we were growing up, we didn't really realise that we were identical. I mean, we knew we were twins, but the whole impact of being twins was not really... We lived in our own little world. So... I mean, we more or less worked as one unit. Anne and Margaret were both born with congenital rubella syndrome, CRS, which has long-term health implications. Its first manifestation is often deafness. We were very lonely. We were very lonely. There was always conflicts. We, we were definitely known as different. My mother felt that we were... Um, stupid. ..were different. She wanted to push us out and get independent and do everything which our siblings were doing. Like, they were doing all the sports, the rope the yes sailing and everything and my father just I think he just wanted to protect two little twins he thought they were rather cute the reason why we were like that was because we were deaf and we didn't have hearing aids and the world confused us we couldn't hear well we didn't know what was going on so it was a bit you know our head was going backwards and forwards and up and down trying to determine what people were saying but because we were very close, we could actually communicate with each other. But outside of that, it was really very difficult when there's a noise and everything, and there's six children around the table and two parents, eight around the table, and the knives and forks going and clattering. We didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, but there was lots of rows and piety, but it, it was very, very difficult. Um, 
and confusing. Ah, look this year. <laughs> what? I know I am. I always was. Oh, poppers. Purple poppers. Welcome home. You never got me a balloon before. No. You're getting it now. That's because I'm on radio. Here, give us a kiss. No, that's not your... That's the pot. Give us a kiss. Oh, do you have a kiss? Hang on. Hurry up. Ah, oh, come on. Look, you know it. Great Thank to see you. Much. Great to see you, Margaret. Really is. How are Great you? To see you. We can't do without you, Pauline. Thank you very much for the push. Did you have a nice trip? I did have a nice trip. Huh? What's what that? Do now? We are twins, yes, we have a special relationship, but people have a kind of an erroneous idea that being twins is rather cute and rather nice, and you've always got someone to support you, and you've always got someone who understands, but in actual fact, everybody wants to be an individual and have an identity of their own. And we were never called our names when we were growing up. We were all called twins. Twins, dinner's ready. Twins, come on. In school, the nuns used to say, twins, oh, you know, the so-and-so twins, you know. And it even, I found it hard to find that I had a name. I found twins claustrophobic. That's why I didn't really like being identified as DNA identical. I hoped we wouldn't be identical. It's like a cold bar on, on, on a packet of soup and it, it matches exactly. Like Christmas. I think it's permanent now. It's just all day long. Well, I thought that. I thought that airport looked grim. Did you not think it looked grim? It wasn't very busy. What? It, it wasn't, wasn't very busy. Hardly anyone on the plane. I mean, it was just like an ordinary flight over. I mean, I thought I thought the plane would be absolutely packed. Well, Mark, we're not in that anyway. You know, they line us all up in wheelchairs in city airports. There were six of us at one point, all one one beside each other. And it was absolutely quite comical, actually. Well, I think it's terrible because, you know, they put you in this little room and you're friggin' freezing right out practically on the... On the, on the it's not a room, it's a corridor. It's I a corridor for you. And they put you there in front of the tarmac. I, I, I made a mistake of telling the man who was pushing me that my brain was disintegrating and after that he never talked to me. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big mistake. <laughs> I he was afraid he might make it worse. Was he? Well, I told someone. I in think the he took it particularly seriously, and he thought I might jump out of the wheelchair. Yeah. And, and I told someone in the hospital that half my brain is gone, my frontal lobes have atrophied, and their mouth opened like a goldfish. I said, "It's true. The frontal lobes have atrophied. It's not there. It's not in it. I'm like a walnut." <laughs> It's really funny. I, I just, just suddenly realised that he'd stopped talking to me and he started talking to the other man in a wheelchair the whole time. Well, why did you start chicken and jerking and then they won't talk to you at all? I have started. I, I do chicken jerk. And then this man on the bus gave me this patronising smile. Ah, oh, you poor thing. Happy Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Christmas. And then you said, there's nothing wrong with my brain. <laughs> Do you reckon we're on the downward slope? Yeah. 
Most possibly. I think I'm on the downward slope. Well, I hope you get Alzheimer's before. It's such an easy way to go. I don't want to slow, slow, drip, drip, drip and know that I'm going slow, slow, drip, drip. Just had to be very sudden. Well, people know they've got Alzheimer's in the beginning, and yeah. What? People know they've got Alzheimer's at the beginning. Yeah, I know they do. Mummy knew she had Alzheimer's, more or less. I said to the nurse they'd put dogs down for less. Put dogs down if they have a painful mouth. Ah, it's cruel to keep them alive. Not bleeding cruel to keep human beings alive. Put them through the agony. I don't want to be put down. Well, no, I suppose not. Wouldn't be very nice. We could go to Dignity or whatever it's called in Switzerland together. What? We could go to Di Dignity in Switzerland together. Mark could come and take a, do a radio programme of us having our injection. Would you like that, Mark? Yeah, trip to Switzerland. To the place in Switzerland where everybody goes to be put down. Is it legal? We uh, were talking about that the other day. It's illegal here, Mark. Well, is that place in Switzerland, is it legal? No, I don't think it is. Well, no, I, it's not illegal. Not illegal in And not legal in Holland. Go to Holland, it's cheaper. <laughs> I left home at 16 and never went back. I um, went to do nursing nursing for two years and then I went to England and then never came back. And I think partly that was, uh, i got to get out of here. Anne went to pieces when I left school. I did really, I did really, because I suppose I was volatile and everything, and she was very placid, and she kept me, kept me steady. Um, well, I understood, I understood. I mean, I knew why she was going. There was no one, there was no... I mean, I wasn't angry or anything. I knew she had to go. I mean, I knew. Well, I wanted to be a nurse in Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital, and that's, and I had been wanting that since I was 14. So I just headed for there. I just came in one night and said to Mum, I'm not going back to school to leaving the difficult. I never even, I never even considered that Anne might be traumatised by it. I just upped and went. Didn't I, Anne? Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I never resented you leaving. But I certainly was traumatised. Uh, I really didn't know what hit you, but I understood why you needed to go. I mean, I did understand. I mean, I suppose that showed the strength of our relationship that I did understand. Now she disembowels into my lovely flat and everything else is in chaos within Look one hour. Look at this. Look at them. Are they? Graduation confetti. Marcus, you haven't even written up your PhD. You're preparing for the party. You've been preparing for the party 
for the last year and you won't do the flipping this thing. This is my life. I, I, this is my jigsaw of my life. I Margaret. Think. You're not interested in my life, Yes, you? Margaret, I'm interested in your life, but I'm more interested in you getting your PhD and then we can discuss your life. Yeah, I'll show you the PhD. That is part of the jigsaw, the corner. <laughs> Margaret, look, look, where's your PhD? Show me your PhD. She's, it's here somewhere. There she is. Look, there's the PhD. Look, the silly hat, which you have to put on your head, and it's only a little corner of a jigsaw at the moment. Well, you got to get there. Not if you play with dolls' houses and make jigsaws. Ah, she's badgering me now. I know, I, everybody wants me to get this PhD. I will get it, I will. Get it. But, Mum, you won't get it. It won't be written by, by magic. Do I you? intend to do great work in January. In January? And I've been setting up websites and doing all sorts of things. This is not the problem. Oh, yeah, I want to show you. Okay. I, this could happen to be the net, girl. I won't show you. I won't show you this. You want to watch? Mm-hmm. I give this to Anne because it's second hand, not a present. What's that? Shark curtain. I gave that to you recently. No, you didn't. You did. Did you? Yeah, I did. Why? Because I didn't want it. I bought that. Oh, me. I kick a back to Give it to me. I bought that. <laughs> I bought that in Woody's before the Euro came. <laughs> I gave it to you about a year ago. Well, I'd like to talk with them. We were going to get six pounds for it. You were 17. It was going to go in the sale. Hey, look. Oh, no, it was the Euro had just come in. I don't want it. I'm... <laughs> oh, well, I thought you might. I didn't know you gave me that. I can't remember you gave me that. Look what I got in the second-hand shop. She drank, cut her wrist, I overdosed. 17, 18, no, no, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 30, But you 30, did, 30. you did stop. I, the, 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 I think the reason why I... Well, believe it or not, the first time I self-injured was seven years of age. Uh, the doctor felt I was doing it during the, my sleep, but I wasn't. Uh, I, I used to kind of, I had a pair of glasses which had metal ends. I used to gouge into the back of my ears. I used to love the sticky, sticky blood I felt, and I used to gouge. Uh, then scabs would form, they get infected. and It comforted me for some strange reason. I mean, I was a very, very frightened kid. I went on self-injuring until I was exactly 49 years of age. I also was burning myself with the iron. I used to plug it in over there and I used to crouch down on that rug and leave it until it was red hot and then push on my skin. The iron. What what's, what's, was the payoff from, from doing that? Like when you put it's the a, iron on, what's, what do you get? What it did? Well, it did two things. First of all, it transferred the mental, the, the psychological pain and what you were feeling into a state that you could look at and then you start attending yourself like uh, I learned how to bandage them just as good as any nurse so you spend a lot of weeks just caring for it bandaging redressing it and everything and it was a process you were caring for it you were healing something but then once it was healed it all started all over again
Anne, would you mind your stick? Well, go on the other side of me then. I don't can't go on the other side of you. You've got two bloody dogs on the other side of you. Oh, well. They're even worse. Well, no, look, you're going the other side of me, and then... No, I'm not going on the other side. This is my good ear, and I can hear you better this side. Ah, uh, well then, stop complaining. It's the 4th of January, a windy day on Dunleary Pier. Just watch your stick. Anne and Margaret, with their matching coloured walking sticks, are out strolling with the two dogs. Watch your stick. This way. Duchess. Hang on, wait for me. Oh, dear, I have to go back to England. God... Beautiful skies, beautiful seas, and I have to go back to England to a smelling, dirty city where no one talked to. Ah, well. Christmas has come and gone. Margaret still hasn't decided whether to come home or stay in London. I remember seeing that church burn down when I was about 12, flames in the air. Do you remember remember when that church burnt down and the flames in the air? Yeah, I do. Daddy took us down to have a look. Electrical falls. Margaret, will you step over? Hang on. I'm not responsible for your dogs. Margaret, you want to get a dog? And when I'm at home, I said, Margaret, will you please take the dog down to the road for a pee? Give me a bit of a break. No, too tired. You're going to be fine with a dog, aren't you? Oh, look at that. Here you go. We frightened them. They're all now looking for mates. I used to get on the mail boat there when I was 18, 19, 20. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we, I used to leave her down and I used to, she used to go off and I used to watch her till she disappeared. And then I said I would go down to the pier because you could, uh, at those days you could get up on the, on the top of the boat. I used to wave, pick her out. And then I said I'm going to the end and I go to walk to the end of the pier and watch the boat go away. And walking back was horrible. Well, I was out there looking over the rail, looking at... It was horrible and it happened so frequently. I used to walk down the pier home and I didn't know how I felt. I was just all hollow inside and horrible. Well, it took me about a month to recover. And I used to hate it. I just did not know how I felt. Every time she left, I couldn't cry, I couldn't laugh, I couldn't feel well, get on with your life. I couldn't say, well, there she is, that's another. I used to just say, there she is for the next time, all right. But I just didn't know how, how my feelings were. And you just have to get on over and over again. Well, I didn't much like it either. I, there was, I was sort of, uh, didn't quite know where to put myself in those days. I wish I'd come home earlier, actually. And then when Daddy used to take us down to meet you, you know, he used to get us up with the crack of dawn. I said, Daddy, the boat's not coming in. So we used to park the car here. And the boat wouldn't have even been on the horizon. We were sitting in the car waiting for the boat to turn up. Well, my Daddy loved me. Yeah, but Daddy, Daddy always got us up for a My Daddy two. loved me. Two hours before anything happened, we were sitting there in the freezing cold sometimes because it was That's Christmas. Because my daddy loved me. And he wanted to see me. Two days before he died, he told me he loved me. Then Elizabeth said, he never told me he loved me. He told me. Dear old dad. I love daddy. I miss daddy. Here, come here. Daddy was a good man now. He was really, wasn't he? So I was on something like 14 pills a day. Uh, Margaret was, uh, I was put in hospital, maybe I was misbehaving. And I always cuddle a hot water bottle, I still have, and I always have. And they took it away from me. 
And I went up to see you, Dad, the other day, and I fell into the grave next door to you, so why weren't you looking after me? Of course, I went to be hysterical. And Martha rang up from England and said she always cuddles the hot water bottle. She loves it. Oh, it's dangerous, it's dangerous. Uh, and you know what, they took it away from me. And they gave me Logactyl, which is for schizophrenia. So that was replace my hot water bottle, which I cuddled, which comforted me. Basically, they took away the comfort yeah. and tanked her up to knock her out. I mean, you can't deal with your issues if you're tanked up. And that's what they do in the psychiatric system. They do not, on the whole, do therapy. And a lot of the psychiatrists have never been trained in therapy. They have been trained in medicine. You have to be a doctor before you become a psychiatrist. And they know about pills. And so they know how to give you pills. They don't know how to talk you through the issue. You cannot solve things by, by drugging you into a senseless state of not being able to resolve the issue. What sort of therapy do you think would help? We, I, I've had ther- I had psychotherapy for 20 years. I went twice a week at the beginning and then I went once a week. And in fact, I only gave it up three years ago, something like two years ago. So I saw the same man for 20 years. And it wasn't, in the end, for the last five or six years, it wasn't therapy. It was sort of a man who knew what my life was like. And it was like a rock in a storm. And I could function because once a week I would tell this guy how things were going, what was working, what thing, and you knew that he cared. No pills involved. Uh, When I went to psychotherapy, I knew the issue. It only really took me under two years to understand who I was. I was a woman. I was talented. I was intelligent. I was articulate. I was witty. Uh, I was kind. I was on top of the world. I'd never been happy. I started doing things like uh, looking at women's magazines, looking at clothes, growing my hair. It was always used to be shorn to the bone. I started to take an interest in things. I was putting on makeup. Now, the first time I went out on the street in a skirt was horrendous. I thought I was going to do a Marilyn Monroe. You know, I was a great... I was horrendous. It really was. I've never felt so frightened in all my life. I thought the whole thing would billow up and everybody would see everything. Uh, but then it started to tame down. And I, I kind of started to get great excitement and I would... Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. And... I wanted to, if my work started to flourish, and I said, I know what I want to do, I'm settled. I'm living proof that I reached happiness after two and a half, two, oh, just touching two years of trying to go through. And, and the therapist hardly ever said a thing to me. But I got an hour with her. You only I, get 10 minutes with a psychiatrist. You only get 10 minutes with a psychiatrist. No one seemed to realise that there's so many people. You go in the door, she said, hello, Anne, I say, take a seat. I used to judge my session with a cigarette. We both smoked. We lit the cigarette. And once I saw her cigarette coming to the very end, I knew that was the end of the session, and it was roughly 10 minutes to 15. Uh, that's true. Uh, roughly 15 minutes. So, uh-oh, we both come to end of the cigarette session. We'll end. They would say things like, how did your week go? Oh, well, I had a good week. Friday I was a bit upset and thing, thing. Uh, then, And then she literally, after she'd stubbed out her cigarette, she'd turn away. I just said, I'll see you next week about the same time, OK? Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Turn away. As if 
you've never been in the room. And the shock. Oh. And then I would try and sit there, but I had pain to say. And she knew I wasn't budging. She'd stand up then. Then I had no choice. What'd you do? Helen, you are a total and utter obsessive compulsive person. No, Mum, it is I want my home to be nice and tidy and Yes, uh, but you have to leave your hat somewhere. But not just on the floor or something. I didn't do it on the floor. I mean we have hooks for that coat and hat. When people come into a house, you put a coat up and the thing, you just go everything. You know, when you open letters on the floor. Nothing gets back. You open the tea caddy and the lid stays off. How do you think the lid is going to get back on? By magic? Well, I don't see that as terribly important. But Margaret, it all builds up and then you're living in one big mess. As I have experienced when I've gone to your flat. No, no, my flat's not messy. You tidy up so much I can't find any of my stuff. I spent half an hour this morning trying to find my diary because you put it in a bag. I didn't touch your diary. I don't even know what it looks like. I can't find any. I can't find my brush at the moment. Where the feck is my brush? I didn't see it. I don't know what your brush looks like. You're using my brush. We can't live together. Definitely not. Absolutely not. I'm not going to live with you. Ever. So my mum gave me Colours, uh, colouring pencils, things. Even the look of the colours uh, and the smell of the colour and the felt-tip pen. And I used to line them all. I was in ecstasy with my colouring pencils. And she knew that would keep me quiet and somehow that's I found my raison death, you know. I've had very good exhibitions, sold very well. Uh, the American embassy, um, ambassador to Ireland bought a painting of mine. Your art is fabulous. Now my artwork has been uh, has been noticed. You know, it has definitely. You've had good reviews in the papers. You've yeah. had exhibitions. You've sold. Oh yeah, every exhibition I've had, I've sold mostly half or over half of what I put up. I've had six children's books published, illustrated, and written by myself. I've had two book awards. Uh, I've had. Uh, I said, my sister, my sister-in-law, who lives way over the other side, she said, Anna, I was in Belmullet the other day, and your, one of your books is on a stand in the library. Oh, is it really? Yes, yeah, she said, it's on display. And Margaret said to me, she doesn't know what, she said, uh, where's Belmont? I said, Margaret, at the other end of Ireland, next stop, America. <laughs> so my book is on a stand in the library in Belmont. No disregard to the people who live in Belmont. <laughs> it's not exactly a, a Joyce you nor know, a Beckett play, is it? <laughs> you know, I'm still laughing. I mean, I got this vision of worst-case scenario and unfortunately the first time I went to the outpatients I actually saw the worst-case scenario. Margaret has recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And, you know, and you can lose your voice and you can lose the swallowing and you can... Uh, it's a nasty disease. Um, you can stop walking. Uh, 
And the jerks are supposed to be very good. But I already have difficulties. Everything slows up, you know. Your bowels slow up. I mean, nothing works. It's just slow. Do you, um, do you worry a lot about it? Mostly I'm frightened about where, what's going to happen when I get worse. Because my walking has slowed up considerably. It's quite difficult to walk. Um, I mean, it takes me forever to come up Marine Road to come back and, and, and I just, you got the stick and you're walking and your legs won't work. And, you know, eventually they'll stop working. <laughs> they'll stop going this way. You know, they'll stop. Um, uh, and the medication will go up and up and up. And I do worry about it. I, I'm scared because I'm scared about uh, being dependent. I don't like people looking after me. I don't like being out of control. That reminds me of the out of control in my childhood. Being sick reminds me of the out of control. I think that's probably why I'm scared too. Because being sick reminds you of the chaos of the family and the chaos of the abuse and the chaos of everything. So it's just total reminder of the chaos. And I want control. I want to know what's going to happen next and how I'm going to manage that. Always at the back of your mind, you're wondering where you're going to land up, who's going to care for you and who's going to keep an eye on you. You know, after Leeds Cross, who's going to look after you, make sure that nobody's abusing you or not feeding you or leaving you in your nappy all the time, you know? Anne's health has also begun to deteriorate. Although the diagnosis is not yet clear, she worries that her symptoms may get worse. You know, uh, there are people say to me, you know, be grateful for what you've got and look at your lovely place, which it is, but no one ever comes to see it. I mean, okay, someone once in a blue moon would say, oh, you have a lovely place, and then I'm deserted for weeks. And I look and I sit here and I say, oh, I have a lovely home. I'm supposed to be grateful for that and do you know I never harmed a soul and this is where all the lack of love is shown the lack of nurturing the lack of love because um, we've had a lack of love all the way through I think I've dealt with it just by cutting off I can concentrate on my career and just focus and forgot about it, relationship, forgot about my family. I think I got more bitter when I did get physically ill, you know, and I ended up to reach her because my race on death was painting and it was re really, you know, kept me going, like Margaret's career kept her going. And uh, I loved it with a passion. I don't have the physical energy to actually hold the implements or to, I mean, I wouldn't... And the tiredness. The tiredness. Standing at an easel. And I'm very weak. My arms and legs are very weak and I've got some kind of muscle wasting problem which I don't quite know why. I used to have a very strong faith in Jesus, not God. But I never saw Jesus very much like a God, more like a companion, more like somebody who was with me because I wasn't didn't have anybody. So for a long time I was very, very, very important for me to receive communion because that was me with Jesus. Now I don't I, I have faith. I believe there is a God. I believe Jesus is around. But I can't go into a church. As for when I die 
Oh, well, I hope so. I don't know. I find that scary. I hope there's something after this. I think religion has caused more, more, been more cruel than any. Religion caused every single war in the world. Uh, uh, and it's a bit man made. If there's a God out there, grand, <laughs> plenty of questions to ask him. And there'll be a long queue to get through Peter's Gate. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know whether I believe or not, just try to get through day for day. The only thing, I, I am terrified of dying, I really am, and that's possibly why I was there, but to, to just go to get Alzheimer's or something and everything. My, my biggest fear is that I'll never see Margaret again, or that I won't have a connection with my twin. So we've had a lot to deal with, and it's not finished yet. We'll probably end up in a nursing home together, side by side, shaking. Dublin Airport, 6th of January. Margaret still hasn't reached a decision. I think we need to be living separately. Uh, I don't want her living in England that far away. Uh, but I'd like her over here. Uh, it'll be a decision she'll have to make. I think it would be good for her. She hasn't been. She loved to see. Oh, the first thing she'd done for 38 years would take me down to the sea or let's go down to the sea. Uh, I'd like to come home. I'd like to come home. I, don't, I actually don't particularly like London. And I'm five floors up with... 58 stairs and no lift so I mean that's impractical if you've got Parkinson um, and I'm sick of the pigeon shit on the bridge you know um, I'd like to come home but I, I don't see the services here has been brilliant and this spell in Ireland was I've been here for four months trying to finish PhD but I was supposed to, to think about whether I would come back but when I think about the problems Anne's had in the medical services, I just wonder whether it's going to be worth it. And uh, is it better to have Parkinson's in Ireland or better to have Parkinson's in England? Um, I mean, I've got Parkinson's, but I've got a physio, an OT, a psychologist, a counsellor, as a team looking after me. I'll walk up with her. Would you want me to walk up with you? Just give me. Bye then. Bye. Take it easy, Margaret. It'll be okay. Mm. I'll be fine, Anne. I, when, once I get back, I'll be fine. And Anne? You're right. Yes. And you're, you're more roused with anybody. I won't fight with anyone, I promise. Promise. Bye. 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 Give me a ring when you get there. I will. Bye, Margaret. Sure, well, that's it now. You get a great goodbye. I just want to wait until she goes through. Bye. The bit that will always remain is the hurt and the pain that you've experienced. Nothing takes that away. Nothing takes away that pain. And nobody knows what it really feels like. You know, you can't know what it feels like. Somebody hearing can't know what it feels like. I don't know what Anne feels like. Anne doesn't know what I feel like. We've got a sense of it. But the pain and the loneliness and the isolation and the fears 
remain and will remain till the day you die. So now we've both got to have those pains and loss and hurt to the day we die with me with Parkinson's and Anne with whatever this illness is, which, I mean, she has other illnesses that have been identified, but we're very sick. And when you know what happens when you're sick, we get very vulnerable, we, we don't cope well, then that's more scary too. Because if we know you don't cope well, then you feel like you're going to crack up. And we don't want to do that. We've been there, done that. And so the whole thing gets into it. I mean, it's really scary. The future's scary. But we will shake to death. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> we'll shake to death. Shake to death. Won't we? Shake to death. Everything will rattle around. Like a big tumble dryer. Yeah, I'll take about three days to recover from that. You know where we are now? Yeah. Excuse me, Harry and Joseph. God almighty. And then, you know, you, you worry now until she makes the next. I'll ring her in about 20 minutes. There she is. Hello? I'm in the lift. I'm getting out now. We're going to the car. Are you all right? You're fine. Yeah, don't worry, look. You... I know. Don't crash now when you get home. Keep in touch. Yeah. Mark, she said goodbye to you and she didn't say goodbye to you and she's sorry about that and I hope to see you again. Tell her I said goodbye. Very nice to meet her. Tell her she, Mark said it was very nice to meet you, Margaret. Okay, well, we, we, I'm going to get into the car, Margaret. I need to get into the car, okay? Okay, look, we talk on the way. Bye now. That's the ice cream man. <laughs> it can all go down now for a night. Shake with dignity. <laughs> 